This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And hey, everybody. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, today we are so excited to have someone that's become a friend over the years, Josh Howell uh, from the Lean Enterprise Institute, or what most people know as Lean.org. Josh, thank you so much for being with us today. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your role at the Lean Enterprise Institute? Sure. Uh, Thanks, Skip. Thanks, guys. Happy to be with you this morning. Uh, So like you said, my name is Josh Howell. I currently serve in the role of president for the Lean Enterprise Institute. I've been in this role since, I guess, around 2019. Took on the role just in time for, you know, this uh, pandemic thing. Um, I joined LEI uh, in 2013, so coming up on my 10-year anniversary, which is just kind of wild to think about. Um, When I joined LEI, I served primarily in the role of, like, Lean Coach, uh, kind of out in the field, working with uh, the various organizations that LEI supports uh, that we commonly refer to as our co-learning partners. Um, and uh, prior to joining LEI, uh, I worked for nine years for Starbucks Coffee Company out in Seattle, Washington, I guess a little bit of time in Portland, Oregon, then Seattle, Washington. Uh, and it was at that company where I was introduced to Lean and to the Lean Enterprise Institute. Well, Josh, once again, thank you very much for being here. And I, I just have to say that, you know, I'm I still consider myself very early in my in my lean journey. And and I tell you, I have uh, I've spent a lot of time on uh, lean.org and, and I, I really appreciate your website and all the, the resources that you guys provide for 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 folks like like me and and, and other organizations. But um Tell us a little bit, just briefly, a little bit about the history of LEI. How, how did it how did it come about? Sure, good question. Uh, well, um, last year happens to be LEI's 25 year anniversary. Uh, so thinking about kind of the history of the institute and uh, I guess the legacy of the institute that that I and the current team have inherited is is, is something we've been doing uh, to it, in in light of our 25 year anniversary. So uh, anyway, we were founded um, 25 years ago, 1997, by Dr. James P. Womack, uh, a year after he had published uh, the book that he co-authored with Dan Jones out of the the UK called Lean Thinking, which was, uh, for those that have read it, you'll know it's a collection of case studies um, from that time. So again, published in, uh, 1996, but a collection of case studies from that time of, of companies essentially that had uh, had begun to emulate uh, what had been shared about Toyota's business system uh, and called Lean. It also introduced uh, kind of five principles of Lean thinking at that time. So that was 1996 um, when that book was published and and really you know sparked I guess this this movement, tons of interest in these ideas, and so. Uh, as you might imagine, someone like Jim Womack was in extremely high demand at that time uh, to come give talks, to come visit companies, um, to share his advice and his ideas. 
And I think in order to effectively respond to that demand, uh, he decided to to set up the Lean Enterprise Institute uh, to have an organization that would kind of help him, you know, process all this interest and and decide um, what to do about it. Uh, so anyway, so Jim founded the institute. Uh, he served as the CEO for LEI for 13 years and established uh, the things that LEI still does to this day, uh, essentially. So. You know, he himself was an author, he was a researcher, he was an author, a wonderful writer. Uh, and so one of the things that LEI does is uh, publish books. Uh, we published about a book a year uh, since we were founded. Uh, so that's one thing we do. Um, given the interest that these ideas generated, um, a community began to form. And so another thing that LEI does is to uh, help build that community, serve that community in various ways. We have an annual conference um for that purpose and then those community members wanted to put these ideas into action uh and so lei has been providing you know training and coaching services over the years for for folks that uh, have wanted to do that um and then uh, as skip mentioned uh, we have our website uh, lean.org and i guess as you mentioned as well our lean, uh, lean.org where there's just tons and tons of free resources that have been accumulating over those 25 years um so, anyway, so jim served in that role for 13 years more or less established uh, what I just described and what we still do to this day. Uh, in 2010, he handed over the reins uh, to uh, someone who had been around from the beginning, uh, serving as, as his senior advisor, John Shook, uh, who many folks know is the first non-Japanese manager uh, hired at Toyota Motor Company uh, back in, in, in the 1980s. Uh, John served in the role for about a decade. Um, he was uh, CEO of LEI when I, when I joined up. Uh, mentored me a great deal. I feel very fortunate <laughs> in that regard. Uh, and and then, like I said, I, I assumed the role uh, in in 2019. So a bit of the history. Uh, but you know, I think more or less what we do today, you know, structurally at kind of a high level, is what we've been doing since uh, since our founding uh, in 1997. Mm-hmm. Well, Joshua, that that's great pedigree for that organization we had um john shook on i don't remember how long ago it was but he was one of our early guests we've we've also had uh another tennessee native tennessee native john shook that's right yeah (laughs) yeah um we've also had someone else from that has worked at starbucks before come on the program um and so we took it a little bit of a different direction, but I wanted to hear your experience uh, learning lean from Starbucks. What was that like? Um, you know, how how did that shape your career? Sure, uh, shaped it uh, tremendously, I think. So was that uh, Karen Gaudet, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Yep, guess? sure was. Wonderful. So co- fellow colleague, uh, colleague here at LEI, former colleague at Starbucks. Did, did you did you pick her off from uh, Starbucks or? I was I was I would have been involved in that process. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Um, so let's see. So yeah. So I I joined uh, Starbucks Coffee Company in 2004. I was a couple of years uh, removed from uh, receiving my undergraduate degree in finance from the University of Notre Dame. Um, where uh, actually while I was in school, uh, I, I had begun to work for my grandfather's construction company, um, like on the weekends and stuff. He would pick me up. Uh, I, I, I went to school in town, so I'm born and raised in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, that's where University of Notre Dame is located. 
Uh, so he would pick me up on Saturday mornings in his pickup truck, and we'd drive around town looking at all the jobs that he was estimating or the jobs that he was doing. And uh, and so anyway, when I graduated college, I went to work uh, for him, uh, only to discover that that the business had been in the red for about a decade. Uh, mm-hmm. He was keeping it afloat with his own money, um, as he would say, to keep his guys working. Uh, these are, I think, some of the the ethics, I guess, that I that I maybe come from. Um, so anyway, so after a couple of years, uh, it just became kind of clear that that there wasn't much of a future in the family business. So I, I moved out to Starbucks, uh, or actually uh, moved out to Portland, Oregon. That was really uh, the decision that I was making. I moved out there without a job, actually. Uh, the first day that I arrived, uh, I needed to get like, you know, toilet paper <laughs> for my apartment uh, that, that I had found online, um, kind of sight unseen. We moved into it. And across the street from the Target, I think, uh, where I went to get the, you know, just basic amenities was a Starbucks store. Uh, My future wife and I at the time uh, went in to get a cup of coffee and saw a sign for a job fair uh, that Starbucks was hiring and I needed a job. I was a finance major, so I I was looking for what I thought was a like a real job uh, in finance. Um, But anyway, I was, you know, sort of interested in, in, in the idea of working for a company like Starbucks. I was not really a big coffee drinker or anything, but anyway, uh, ended up getting hired by the company to be a barista. And I thought, well, you know, why not? I'm young enough in this new city, be kind of a fun job, flexible hours, uh, work with young people. That's kind of nice. And I'll do that until again, until I get a real job was kind of the idea. But uh, once I started working there, I, I quite liked it, liked the people I was working with, liked the culture, liked uh, the values of the company and I know it was just fun uh, for for someone at at that age. I was 24 years old uh, when I got hired by the company. Uh, it wasn't long thereafter that I was uh, promoted to become a store manager, and then uh, it wasn't long after that that just by by random circumstance, the store that I was managing was selected by the company for kind of its first model line uh, store. There was actually four stores that were selected. Mine just by happenstance was one of those. Prior to that, the company had been experimenting with lean in areas in like corporate processes and and in our roasting plant. And in Sorry, like what, what year was this? I'm just supply curious. chain. So uh, my store was was brought in for this experiment in 2007, 2008 timeframe. Okay. So I've been with the company for uh, three, so four Starbucks years. So Starbucks started its lean journey around that time. It did, yeah, and okay. and pretty interestingly, I mean, it it started it. Uh, it was the head of global strategy. Uh, that brought lean into the organization, hmm. uh, which is just an unusual, you know, the starting point, <laughs> sort of origin point for a lot of companies. But so, you know, he, he took it into supply chain, roasting plants some corporate processes, had some early success and then finally got up the nerve uh, and I guess got got the, the alignment to take these ideas into store operations. Uh, they identified four stores for some early experimentation, and I just happened to be managing one of those stores. So let's say this is 2007, 2008. Uh, at the time, you know, I was a young store manager. I had no management experience. I had no management capability, skill, knowledge. I was just winging it, <laughs> like, like I don't know, maybe, maybe like most of us uh, are doing in any of our jobs, even today. Um, but certainly that was true then. And in spite of you know having no skill or capability or whatever. The store that I was managing was growing like 25% year over year. It was just incredible, and that was just how things were at Starbucks at that time. I mean, Starbucks was like kind of couldn't could do no wrong. 
But, you know, when 2008 hit, the financial crisis, like all of us experienced, that changed almost overnight. My store that had been growing 25% year over year was now shrinking like 10% year over year. Uh, it was a dramatic fall. Uh, the fortunate thing was that we had begun experimenting with lean previously, kind of prior to that financial crisis in stores like mine. And we discovered that, you know, as, as efficient as we thought we were, there was a tremendous amount of waste. Uh, there was lots of opportunity to increase the value that we were creating for customers to improve product quality, to improve the cleanliness of our stores, to improve like the speed uh, of service that customers would experience, and even like the friendliness, the customer service that we would provide. Hmm. Uh, and Lean helped us in, in a multitude of ways. Uh, improving in all those dimensions. Most importantly, I think the dimension of like the value that we created for our customers. Uh, there was a lot of waste removal too, but I don't know. We came to find that we had tremendous opportunity for quality and product availability and speed and all that kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, in uh, after a year or so of um, uh, managing my store through that early lean experimentation. Uh, the financial crisis hits, the company's, you know, really struggling, laying people off, running out of cash, and commits to making Lean the way that that it will respond uh, to that crisis. And so a team gets formed uh, at the headquarters in Seattle. I get hired onto that team, uh, which was an opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, totally changed my life uh, in a multitude of ways. Uh, Starbucks is being advised by people like John Shook. At that time, so that's kind of when I first got to meet John and got to meet LEI. Uh, and anyway, once I moved up to Seattle, this was in 2009. I spent the next five years essentially doing my best, or the team was doing our best, to recreate the success we had in those early stores in Portland. Uh, in the other 25, 30, depending on what day you count, thousand stores around the world. Um, and so that was that was the work that I was a part of. I led some experimentation on different ways to to do the work in the stores. Uh, I established like a coaching role and a coaching team that worked out in the field with field leaders to build their capability and coaching and problem solving and leading teams through lean transformation and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we shared our story at, at LEI conferences. And uh, anyway, there came a time where I think my job was kind of done at the company. We had we had gotten lean thinking spread throughout the company. Uh, and that's when I made the transition to, to LEI. So an unusual, you know, I guess, place to to get introduced to these ideas. Although I guess, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to, to guys that were introduced to these ideas in healthcare, uh, also not manufacturing. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't come up in a manufacturing environment in a factory. And uh, anyway, I think that that has been in some ways to my advantage. But anyway, that's the story. Go ahead, Jake. Well, I was just going to ask you, I mean, you mentioned spreading it from that those five stores to, you know, tens of thousands of stores. You know, we often will take something at one hospital, try to recreate it at another, take something at one clinic, try to do it at another, and find that because of the unique circumstances of that clinic or that hospital, the transformation is it, it's harder to implement that at, at different sites. Um, 
how did you find that when you were on this journey to try to transform 10,000 stores across, you know, different countries even, you know, let alone yeah, just that's different right. cities? Different countries, different business models. Some stores are owned and operated by the comp- by Starbucks. Some are not. They're in like licensed ar- arrangements. That so it's a totally different company actually. Um, so yeah, it was it was uh, an immensely challenging experience. I, I I tend to think about it about at a high level. The problems that we were uh, trying to solve was kind of first, I'll say, like a technical problem which was we had processes that didn't always deliver perfect quality, didn't always enable uh, baristas to be friendly and and available to their customers, didn't always result in clean stores. And so, you know, just like in the work that we did at Starbucks and the processes that we had, uh, we we, we needed some changes. I mean, so there was like some technical changes that needed to occur uh, to better deliver value to our customers with less waste. Okay, so that was one set uh, or or one aspect of the problems that we needed to solve. The other aspect was was around this challenge, which was, okay, once a kind of technical solution to a problem is discovered, uh, how do we get, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of, I'll say, like 19 year olds (laughs) uh, to to um, give this new way of working a try? basically uh, give it a try and then, you know, be able to kind of leverage it for the the potential uh, that this new way of working held. Um, and uh, so, but I, I, we thought of that as a totally different kind of problem to solve. What we ultimately discovered in our case was that um, what we needed to spread, so to speak, to these other stores, these other individuals, what was the technical solution, right? Was the process change, let's say, uh, that 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 certainly you know needed to spread. That would help them deliver better quality and whatever. But our, I don't know. In our minds, more importantly, what needed to spread was like the capability for problem solving. And so the way that we kind of delivered these process changes was we wrapped them in what I call problem solving experiences. So. It, so, so I don't know, to, to make that a little bit less vague. So, for example, we had a process change that we needed to implement for the brewed coffee process that ensured better quality, more consistent quality, better availability, uh, less waste, just like like ground coffee being thrown away. And, and, and that was like tens of millions of dollars. I mean, it was a huge uh, opportunity for us. If we could get this new way of brewing coffee Kind of implemented, uh, but the way that we took people through that that uh, change process was by taking them through like a problem-solving experience. Meaning, the first thing that they would do is they would, as a senior leader in the company or as a store manager or whatever, uh, is they would go and see the problem for themselves firsthand, like the current. So, so they'd, they'd go study the way the work was currently being done. They'd measure quality. They'd measure stockouts. I mean, they'd, they'd kind of confront the problem in their store directly. It wasn't like a financial thing. Hey guys, we got you know high costs or something. It wasn't abstract. It wasn't uh, in, in the way that financial information is. You know, it was very concrete. Like, look, that customer <laughs> got a not perfect cup of coffee, 
or that customer couldn't get coffee because because you had stocked out or whatever. So the first thing anyone would do in this change process would go and confront the problem directly. Then uh, in a structured way, leveraging uh, TWI's job instruction, Skip, I know you're familiar with that. I know it's in use uh, within, within your hospital. Uh, using the job instruction method, um, those individuals who had gone to see the problem firsthand, they would be trained on the new way of working. And, and, and when we were introducing the new way of working, we were sort of saying, hey, listen, this way of working isn't going to be perfect in every store. It's going to have to be modified. But here's a, here's a good place to start. Okay, here's a new way of doing this work. And, and here's a good place to start um, to get you kind of going in a better way. Better way was actually the branding that we gave to it. Uh, and and the people that we were training, we meaning like people from corporate, <laughs> like myself, were the senior leaders. They were people like Karen Gaudet, who you interviewed before. And we weren't going directly to train baristas. We were going to their leader. And she was being trained on this new way of brewing coffee. Now, keep in mind, she's a director. I mean, her job is not to brew coffee <laughs> in That's some cases. Young. In some cases, those directors had never brewed coffee ever. Uh, I mean, seriously. Yeah. Uh, and so that's like kind of an intimidating thing. And and to make it more intimidating, and this is by design, we were training them to brew coffee because in turn they were going to train their direct reports on brewing coffee. Okay. In this new way. And for that, like they were really intimidated because their direct reports definitely knew the work better than they did. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, uh, she told it. She she described that process too. She us, talked about uh, it. Yeah. When when she was on her yeah. But anyway, go ahead. That's right. Yeah. So we, we called it leader led, and 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 it would and so that that learning would kind of cascade down. But everyone was going through the same process. They were going to see the problem, like really confront it. They were learning this new way, and then they would try the new way. And that experience, those those kind of steps, really helped us. Um, gain willingness, I'll say, uh, to to try this new way of working. But it also, you know, in taking them through like a problem solving process, they were learning problem solving, right? Because brewed coffee mm-hmm. wasn't the only process that had problems. <laughs> uh, so did the blended beverages. So did the espresso beverages. So did the hot food. So did, I mean, every process in the store had problems that could be solved. And we were as much wanting to build their like muscle, their acumen with a problem solving process as we were wanting to get this new way of brewing coffee, for example, in place. Does that make sense? Like we had had those two objectives. So for us, that was how we that's how we spread. And again, you know, for us, it was clarifying to to think about what were we spreading? We weren't just spreading the new process. We were spreading. We're sparing problem solving. It's like the old old proverb, you know, you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, but you teach a man to fish, he'll he'll eat for a lifetime. And so that's that's what it's about is teaching people those problem solving skills. But, you know, it it certainly sounds like that that, you know, that lean transformation that that Starbucks went through after 2008, that that really helped. You know, that pivot helped the the company continue and 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 to and to rebound from from that downturn that that uh when all the stores were being closed i want to p- talk a little bit about healthcare you know for the past three years we've had you know the pandemic and it, it has i mean we're going to look you know 50 100 years from now we're going to look back and say this was 
you know, a, a truly a paradigm shift and, totally. you, you know, in, in the world and in, in, in everything. But as, as far as healthcare, have you, in, in your opinion or, or in your uh, observations, have you seen healthcare organizations that have just really come to the realization that, hey, we, we, we can't continue operating like we, like we have and have made that switch over to uh, some of the lean, you know, the, um, to the lean thinking. What do you yeah, think? I think there's, uh, I've, I've seen a number of organizations, I think, that are, um, have come to some decision around, uh, or, you know, at somewhere in the organization, <laughs> uh, uh, made by a, a, a guy like Skip in his role, or made by a, you know, physician like you, or made by a, you know, the CEO or something to um, to explore different ways of working, different ways of operating, different ways of serving patients, uh, caretaking, all that kind of stuff, and and are looking to lean for that, um, for you know, to to guide lean thinking to kind of guide them through that uh, transformation journey. I think there's lots of examples um, in the position that I'm in. You know, uh, I'm fortunate enough to get to visit some of these organizations. I'm sure that that many representatives of these organizations are coming onto your podcast um to to share their experiences um what i will say i guess for what it's worth is um in in some of those uh, let's say healthcare organizations that are um using lean thinking to kind of rethink uh, their model and and how they uh, care for patients and and how they do their work or whatever um I have seen some opportunity, I'll say, to really get into the kind of the like rethinking the details of uh, of the actual um, caretaking that happens, like the work that that frontline nurses and and physicians alike uh, are doing in in caring for their patients. Um, I see some opportunity there to kind of dig deeper uh, than than what um you know what is kind of obvious on the surface and i'm you know i'm tuned into that i guess deeper thinking about work <laughs> sure. uh, because of the experience that i had at starbucks i mean in in a in the case of starbucks you've got a customer who comes through in 3 minutes i mean every second counts and so sure. you know we we spent endless hours literally like mapping out what baristas do with their right hand separate from what they do with their left hand okay wow. i mean we were we were wow. we had to be i mean just the nature of that business we had to be that detailed uh and so you know it it made an impression on me i mean it's really tuned me in to those kinds of micro details in the work um and i don't i haven't had you know with the healthcare organizations that i visited i haven't had many experiences seeing that kind of detailed work improvement uh, happening. I'm not saying it isn't happening. I haven't seen a lot of it. So it, it leads me to believe that, um, that that there's an opportunity there uh, to kind of dig deeper uh, into work improvement and kind of detailed problem solving. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's exciting. Uh, the, the size, I think, of the lean healthcare community and the energy and, and you know, uh, all, all the activity that's taking place. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, like HF just said, the last two or three years have been kind of huge for, for the world. What is the, you know, 
what are the current priorities of the of the lean community? Where is the movement headed? It's a good question. So I, I can I mean I'll I'll uh, I guess I'll answer that from the perspective of the Lean Enterprise Institute. Uh, what are some? No, of you were the leader of the total lean movement around the world. That you were the global <laughs> head of, of I'm lean. A, I'm a, 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 a caretaker for a community. Uh, leadership's yeah. gonna leadership's gonna come from the community. Uh, leadership's going to come from you guys. This is mm -hmm. going to come from. It's not going to come from us. We'll, you know, uh, we'll be around to observe it and hopefully promote it. And, um, but I guess so. You know, some of the um, priorities for the Lean Enterprise Institute um, is, I'll say, maybe to the point that I just made, to the observation that I just made, um, the opportunity to, to I don't know, better connect. Um, the higher level challenges that organizations are facing, whether it's in healthcare or any other industry, really, but, we'll, you know, let's talk about healthcare. Um, the higher level challenges the organizations are trying to meet uh, kind of strategically, let's say, or, or in the spirit of transformation with the, with, with that like detailed work improvement and problem solving that, that must be happening or else we're just not doing anything. <laughs> we're just like talking to ourselves in the clouds. Uh, I'd say that's where we're most focused. So, uh, you know, in, in the way that I guess lean folks tend to talk about that, you know, like helping to make better connections between um, work on like Hoshin Conry, kind of direction setting, strategy formulation, strategy like building alignment kind of deployment and execution of those strategic ideas and you know the the the, the day in day out daily operations uh, often governed and facilitated by like daily management practices so um you know help helping more organizations kind of better connect those sometimes disparate disconnected disciplines uh into a powerful system uh for you know daily performance for daily problem solving for improvement and the engagement and the fulfillment that that brings to people uh, and then for the innovation that 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 is needed uh, especially in industries like like healthcare where there's just been so much disruption and and so much need for i don't know discovery innovation i mean um i know i know you know some folks are carrying around what they believe are the answers to the future of healthcare um, but there's plenty of others that I really admire who um, are carrying around really more questions than answers. <laughs> uh, we don't know how to achieve this transformation. We don't necessarily know what those innovations are. Uh, and so, you know, the emphasis in, in that case is more on the process of discovering those innovations, um, discovering how to make those transformations than it is on, you know, sort of the implementation of, of their bright idea. Um, so uh, we're, we're focused a lot on that too. We've, in fact, one of our thought leaders, uh, Jim Morgan, uh, who's been our leader in the area of lean product and process development, um, you know, keeps talking about uh, the need for designing the future of this and that function or designing the future of this and that industry. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're thinking a lot about that like that process of designing the future, of creating a better tomorrow uh, in whatever industry, at whatever level, in whatever department uh, than, than we have today. And, and 
how to go about discovering what that better way looks like, not just to kind of implement what I think it should look like or what you guys think it should look like, um, but the process of discovery so that collectively we kind of figure this out, uh, recognizing we don't know what we don't know. Uh, so those are some of our, some of what we're thought, what we're thinking about. Josh, what a great, great uh, final response. That we're, unfortunately, we're coming to an end, but man, this has been good. And I know I'm going to get to spend some time with you here in March. That's and, right. And uh, I'll get to pick your brain some more. Uh, but I loved your response. That's, you know, the, some, those are some of the same things as an organization we're focused on. Uh, Pascal Dennis has been a good friend of our organization and helped us think a lot about the strategic deployment alignment or what some might call Hoshin. But but the, the last point you made I thought was so good because we have a concerted effort right now asking the question, how should healthcare be delivered? Uh, you know, uh, if you look at other industries, uh, whether it be industries like Uber or Drive, uh, they had to reimagine uh, how that offering was going to be offered. And today I can't even imagine not using an Uber when I get out of the airport. It's just become custom to how I interact. And so, Josh, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, just thank you so much, my friend, for uh, for leading and for and promoting and, and, you know, creating this community. And I'm just so thankful for you. And I hope that you'll consider coming back on the podcast in the future. But sure. just once again, on behalf of Baptist, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, you bet. Happy to be here. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, Josh. Thank you, Josh.